Hello everyone, my name is Zachary Rodier and welcome to episode 13 of the Quarantine Hockey HQ podcast and I am so excited for this show. Um, we have a lot of great things happening. Uh, we have an interview with the athletics analytics guru Allison Lucan who covers the Columbus Blue Jackets analytically. Uh, she also covers the OSU hockey teams, uh, men and women. Uh, she has two podcasts on The Athletic and it was great to talk to her about her career analytics uh, in hockey, out of hockey, and also all about the Columbus Blue Jackets and Toronto Maple Leafs series. We also, later in the NHL news segment, uh, we are going to be talking a lot about NHL awards uh, and about the unfit-to-play thing uh, that the NHL has been going on, uh, also about the exhibition schedule, and uh, much more. Um, but also... During this episode, and right before this interview with Allison Lucan, the Quarantine Hockey HQ podcast has some really exciting news and a big announcement regarding new episodes and the NHL return to play. Let's get you right into this big announcement before the interview with Allison Lucan. With hockey coming back, the Quarantine Hockey HQ podcast cannot wait to cover it all for you. In addition to our weekly Tuesday episodes with great interviews across the hockey community and our NHL news segment, the Quarantine Hockey HQ podcast is excited to announce that we will have daily recap episodes recapping the six games that happened the day before and previewing the six games that are happening that day in under 30 minutes in our special bonus series called QHQ Score Recap. I am so excited to have this series. Uh, every day uh, I will be coming on the podcast uh, once the exhibition games start. So on July 29th, uh, I will be recapping the July 28th exhibition games and previewing the games on July 29th. It's all going to be done in just 30 minutes because I know that you cannot watch every single hockey game. You cannot read every single about every single hockey game. So in just 30 minutes, I'm going to recap it all for you every single day uh, for the exhibition games and the qualifying series. Uh, we're going to talk about this at the end of the podcast as well during the NHL news segment. I'm going to talk about all things uh, regarding the schedule that we have um, regarding some other interviews as well. But I just really want to show and share this with you as soon as possible. Tuesday will be our uh, regular episode. It will be Quarantine Hockey HQ episode 14. And on Wednesday, well, it's time for QHQ score recap. I can't wait to start that series. Uh, but now, without further ado, let's get you into this exclusive interview with the athletics analytics guru, Allison Lucan. Enjoy. The Quarantine Hockey HQ podcast is excited to welcome a writer for The Athletic who writes about the Columbus Blue Jackets and OSU's hockey teams. In the past, she has written for BlueJackets.com and Fox Sports Ohio. She also loves to look at hockey analytics and applies it to hockey. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ms. Allison Lucan uh, to the show. Allison, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast today. It's my pleasure. I was thrilled to be invited. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And Allison, things are starting to pick up and get busy for you. And everyone are for everyone else around the league as well. Uh, what were you up to before things ramped up and 
Uh, how big of a change was that coming back to the rink uh, to watch training camp to start? And just in a few weeks, uh, we'll see hockey back again. Yeah, hopefully we will, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, before, during the pause, it was, it was kind of a strange time. I think that um, a lot of us maybe worked on projects that we can't work on during the season. Mm -hmm. um, for me, that's working with a lot of data because I'm a nerd like that. Mm -hmm. um, but um, doing some other things, um, another podcast I'm part of called Too Many Men, uh, we were proud to do a flip cup tournament to raise money um, to help support some COVID relief. And I've also been part of a webinar series called Hannock um, with Stathletes Megan Cheka, where we just kind of continue the conversation about hockey every Saturday. Um, but yeah, coming back was strange, um, not just from you and I were talking about this before we started, not yeah. just from a schedule perspective to have kind of that routine back, but it's a very different world. The organization is obviously very focused on keeping the team and, and those around it safe. So we do a temperature check before we head into the rink. We wear masks at all times. We do not see um, or touch the players. Um, all of our yeah. talks are done via video link or phone. Um, so it's, it's a little bit different. That's, that's something to get used to, but I think it's really important right now for sure. And tell me a little bit about your career. How did you get into hockey and how did you land up with The Athletic uh, doing multiple podcasts uh, with them? And how did analytics become uh, part of that and how did you start uh, to apply those analytics to hockey? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's funny. I was actually in the, the corporate world um, for quite some time doing uh -huh. business consulting and just was following sports on the side and um, happened to be in that whole um, swing of people that it's funny to think how long ago this was now, but started blogging, started writing about the team um, and that just led to getting my workout and getting noticed. Um, and analytics came into it because, A, I really wanted to understand the why um, between hockey. So some of that is systems, obviously, and, and learning how to measure what works and what doesn't work. Um, and so that was a big part of it was I was watching, um, the story goes for me that I was watching a game, the Blue Jackets game, and there was a shot that went towards the net and the shot counter on the scoreboard didn't go up a shot. And I said, well, that doesn't make sense. Um, something happened there that's relevant to how the game is proceeding and it's not being counted. So I started looking for measures that count it. And, and that's, that was Corsi at the time. And um, that just, I just loved it. And I loved being able to quantify what we see with our eyes and see when our eyes are right and see when our eyes are wrong and when our memory forgets. So um, just brought it all together from there. And now when it comes to analytics, explain to me uh, and other listeners who aren't so into the analytics part and are reading some of your articles and seeing all those numbers, uh, explain to us like, why it is important when it comes to hockey and when it is useful and when it's seen uh, to, as a fan and as a writer and how it's helpful. That's a great question because I think it's really important to say that if you are not into analytics, that's totally cool. Like if you're yeah. a fan that just likes to go watch the game and cheer, I think that's awesome. You don't have to follow analytics to love hockey or be a better fan or a worse yeah. fan or anything like that. Um, when I write, like I said, I think that I'm writing for a person whose interest is also about how the game is played. Um, what's going on in terms of systems, in terms of what's working, what's not working, and, and measuring those things. And that's not for everybody. Um, what I try and do, and if, if you are reading my work and you ever don't understand something, um, I want you to reach out to me because my goal is to make this stuff accessible. 
I try not to use words that are, you know, fancy or, or a mm -hmm. lot of math. And I think it's really important. Um, again, if I'm talking about something that we can measure that shows what's working or not working or makes a team struggling, I try and use words that make sense. I'm not going to call something, you know, this crazy long mathematical word. I want to say when the player carries the puck into the zone with the puck on their stick. Um, I want it to be accessible and relatable. Again, because my goal is just to help people who want to dig deeper into the sport um, have a resource to, to see that. I always try and match it with video. Um, a lot of numbers is too much. So yeah. we don't want to do that. Um, always try and match it with video and pictures so that if people are interested, what they see connects with what the numbers are measuring. I think that's key. Um, but for someone who's just starting uh, to, to get into it, what would you say to them and to get them started to start to enjoy it if they're interested? Yeah, for sure. So I think the key thing about analytics is it, it puts, um, find, find up, this is what I would say, I think, put your mind on a team or a player that interests you and think about what you think makes that team good or maybe areas they're struggling and find the measures that are out there that match the questions you're asking. There are a lot of those out there um, and it's easy to find. I am, my Twitter DMs are open. Um, I'm always happy to hear from people who want to learn more. Um, and there are a lot of basic resources that people can go to to read. There's a great site called meta, M-E-T-A hockey.com. And it has pretty much every resource about analytics from the very easy accessible for beginners to videos of conferences that have happened to like the really deep thinking mathematical proof stuff. Um, so if there's something that interests you, you can just search it on that site and find papers and videos that work there. Um, and I would say, you know, find writers that write about it, um, find podcasts that talk about it and see what clicks with you and what clicks with and what doesn't. There's some stuff I don't like to use because they're numbers that I don't think really are accessible or, or useful. So find what makes sense to you, find what speaks to the stuff you're interested in in the game and always ask questions. Like I said, my DMs are open, I'm, my Twitter, I'm always responding to mentions and um, I have found the community to be very receptive to helping new people get, get their feet under them. And the numbers that you're finding are off uh, this website and others, you're not making them yourself, are you? Um, some I am, actually. Um, so there's, when you look at hockey, hockey's probably behind the other major sports like baseball, soccer, mm -hmm. especially basketball. So the public, there's a big thing too, right? Because there's publicly available data and then there's data teams have that we don't yeah. have. <laughs> so um, publicly, we don't have data related to tracking. Right. So hopefully we will get that in the future. But mm -hmm. things like zone entries of getting the puck into the offensive zone or getting it out of the defensive zone, um, those things I actually do track myself. Um, and I have done some work on the penalty kill where I do a lot of tracking on my own just because that data isn't available. But you're 100 percent right that there are also great resources out there, um, public sites where you can pull data from also. And I know that you said that the analytics in hockey is starting to grow. And I know that you were part of the Blue Jackets analytics conference uh, this year. How have NHL teams started to use analytics more? And is it possible that on the downside that it could hurt players uh, when it comes to the contract negotiations, especially um, the, the player tracking and the puck tracking is going to be coming very soon. Uh, but can it hurt them? But how can it also help players as well? Yeah, that's a really, really great question. Um, I think teams are slowly 
um, coming along with analytics. I don't think there's many teams anymore that don't have at least one analytics person on staff and they can contract with companies that are doing some basic player tracking. It's not with the chips yet. That's coming, like you said. Um, it's, it's really important that you ask this question because right now, even though there is some data available, a lot of it you cannot use in contract negotiations because it's not in the CBA. The players have mm -hmm. said, you know, some of this isn't real yet. Like some of this isn't truly accurate. So we're keeping it out of contract negotiations. I think to your point, what's going to matter is what does a team value? And then that's going to affect how they negotiate contracts with players, right? Um, mm -hmm. But I think that in the long run, I think it's ultimately going to help more players than it hurts. Because even if you look at particularly defensemen, and particularly a player like Seth Jones is kind of my model case, if we just measured Seth Jones by points um, and shots against, he doesn't get a great raving review. But our eyes yeah. tell us that this is a very special player. And there are some micro levels that do quantify or measure some of the things that make him so, so, so good. And so I think that we're going to find the really unique pieces of players and that for the really good players, at whether it's A through C or D through F or A through Z, it's going to be an easier way to say, look, this guy really is good and here's how good he is and here's what he's good at. And when it comes to the player tracking and the puck tracking, how big of a boost uh, is that going to give to the analytics side? Well, hopefully a lot. Um, the problem we have right now is we're not sure that the player tracking data is going to be available publicly. Yeah. We know teams are going to get it, but we don't know if any of it will be public. And what I think people have to keep in mind here is patience. So what's basically going to come out is this big dump of data, and there's going to be almost too much. So we're going to have to spend some time understanding what the data measures and what it means before we can start to use it, if that makes sense. So I think there'll be kind of like a slow ramp up as people get comfortable with it. And then we'll start to accelerate the cool new stuff that we can find and measure and mm -hmm. say about players. And in the new CBA, the NHL just signed a new CBA for the next six years. Uh, do, to your knowledge, does it start to include the analytics more when it comes to the contract negotiations like you were just talking about? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know for sure, but my gut tells me that it's probably still the same because they, even the teams haven't seen the player tracking data yet, right? So it would mm -hmm. be unfair to address it if they don't really know what it looks like yet. And uh, now let's talk about um, how, your time uh, with the Blue Jackets and different things like that. And how did you start uh, to get with the athletic? <laughs> yeah, so um, I just had been writing. I'm first with Fox Sports. Um, then I moved into a role with the team. And I was just, I just happened to be fortunate that I was in the right place at the right time. And Aaron Portsline, um, who's a, a great colleague and mentor of mine, uh, found a role for me at The Athletic, and, and they were able to make a space for me to write there and podcast there. And um, it's, it's that simple, but uh, I hope that it's also a, an appreciation of the work that I can do. Yeah, and The Athletic is uh, so different uh, to many of the journalism websites and apps uh, than most others when it comes to exclusive stories um, that you guys do. What have been some of the best memories uh, with them and uh, the jackets, and what are some of the best stories you've written? That's a good question. I think what's cool to your point about the athletic is that they're not requiring like a game recap and they're yeah. not requiring a game preview. So we can just write stuff that's interesting. 
Um, and I think because of that, some of my favorite memories are when you get to write the really crazy stories. And like, I wrote a story about the fine master. So there's this funny thing in teams that the team will just have joke fines. Like if you forget to yeah. wear a tie, you have to pay in. And then this pool of money is basically for the team party or meals throughout the season. Um, and Lucas Sedlak, for people who remember him, was the fine master at the time. And the stories that were coming out about the fine master and guys are just chirping each other across the room. Those are the really funny stories to write because the guys are just being guys. Um, and it's fun. It's really, really fun to give fans a look into the room um, and see the personalities of these guys and see the relationships between these guys. I love that. Um, but I also do love um, some of the work I'm most proud of was around the Tampa Bay sweep last year. Yeah. Um, and I really, from a numbers perspective, got to look at what the keys to how the Blue Jackets were playing were that helped them win. The four check, which has again become so key this year, um, the penalty kill. Uh, so being able to say, again, like I said about analytics, this is the key, this is what it's doing. And let me show you that we can truly prove that it's working and making a difference. Um, that's work that I was really proud of as well. And now, uh, before the pandemic, you were doing lots of articles and you were going to get to interview people in person. Um, so tell me what your usual game day looked like or a regular day looked like. Uh, you have two podcasts going on, so you have to prep for different stories, different podcasts. It must be really busy and now it's getting busy again. Uh, but take me uh, what a usual game day would look like. Sure. So on a game day, uh, depending on which torts we're getting, um, <laughs> there, there may or may not be a morning skate. So what that is, is it's just players going to the rink, um, warming up their bodies. It's, it's really a routine for players. A lot of players, it's just part of what they've always done since they were little. Then there's usually a press con We Well, let's think about this. It's been so long. There's usually a yeah. press conference with torts yeah. um, that lasts a few minutes where um, on game days, it's important that you ask really just about the game. That's not the day to to ask people about the fine master, right? Yeah, you're you're yeah. focused on the games that the coach and the players have. We talk to torts, we'd usually go into the locker room and be able to talk to players for stories um, if we need them. And then if we wanted to, usually the visiting team is skating after the home team. So we could repeat that whole process with the visiting team if we wanted. And, and I should say before at that morning skate, that's where people like me would watch for lines, particularly like this year, people are injured, who's skating with who, are people yeah. even skating? Um, then you um, might stay at the rink to write, you might go home to write, um, and then you'll come back to the arena. If there is no morning skate, you're coming back to the arena earlier because that whole process I just described happens before the game, usually at like 4.30. Yeah. So it's talking to tour, it's talking to players. Um, and then you go upstairs to the press box and get ready to cover the game. Cover the game. Um, that's a lot of information. There's a lot happening. You have to be really on your game. You have to know what you see. I'm usually clipping GIFs and sharing stats and trying to share what's happening on the ice. Um, after the game, the whole process repeats itself again. You go into the locker room, talk to torts, um, and go from there. And then to your question about podcasts, it really is key because depending on if there's a game, we're certainly not going to record the podcast the night before because then yeah. we don't know what happened in the game. So yeah. then we have to be ready to record early the next morning so it can be out and be ready in a timely fashion for people to hopefully listen to and enjoy. So late nights and uh, early mornings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I am an early morning person, but most of my colleagues are maybe not as early as I am. But yes, yeah. still getting going at right at the, right at the beginning of the day. And now with hockey coming back, uh, what are your thoughts regarding the NHL's return to play? They've made it this far, um, and they've made it to training camp. But do you think that they'll ultimately 
make it uh, to the hub cities? Um, and do you think that they will be able to award the Stanley Cup this year? This is the million dollar question, right? Yes. I mean, I, yeah. I think I, we're through almost through one week. Um, and I, like I said, I was very impressed with the measures the Blue Jackets are taking. Um, if, if the teams can get through these two weeks, they're going to get to the hub cities. Um, because as Cam Atkinson said, um, this is the most dangerous time because players are going home. They can go to dinner. They can go somewhere else. They're not locked into that bubble. Yeah. At this point, I do feel like they're going to make it to the hub cities. Um, but I also do think that when they're in the hub cities, there's going to be cases of the disease. And we don't really have a clear direction from the league what would make things stop? We don't know yeah. that answer yet. And I think it's going to be really hard because what if it's game, a deciding game five of the opening series and your star player is out because of COVID and you still play the game and you lose, you know, like yeah. I, it's just, it's going to be tricky. So I don't know how the league's going to handle it. I think that they'll at least get to the first round. Will they award a Stanley cup? I'll put it at, mm, because it's in Canada, I'll put it at, 68% that they will do it. Very exact, yeah. <laughs> and I, th I think the thing that makes it tricky, and obviously we'll find out uh, with the NHL releases the case numbers every Monday, um, but I think the thing that's interesting, uh, and I've been reading about it, is the unfit to play and the unfit to practice. Um, because the interesting thing about that is, yes, I like that the NHLPA is protecting their players to not know, so we don't know if they're injured or if they had COVID or they have COVID. Um, but I think it also gets tricky as we're seeing David Pasternak and Corey Crawford, all these players are getting unfit to play. And I mean, if they have a sprained ankle, everyone's automatically now thinking, oh, they have COVID. Uh, right. So I think it's a tricky situation between having the player privacy and, but also not making it look bad on them um, because they could also say ailment or, or illness and injury. Uh, obviously, uh, with some players that are, that are injured, they're coming in skating before practice, so we know that they don't have COVID. Um, but I think it's just a really interesting situation, especially um, with all that's going on because you're just wondering, does this player – is this player – out for today or will they have be able to come out uh, during the return to play because for example Oscar Lindbaum I mean having cancer is it's a really sad thing and that's something that would be taken as really private but that was made public um, but now this this is now they're deciding this needs to be kept private but something like cancer or something serious is not. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that I, I totally agree with you at why they are saying this is the rule. Um, but for me, what's concerning is exactly as you said, that we're not going to know. And having covered practices, having covered morning skates, the minute we say someone isn't on the ice, and I get this totally, like the fans, what's going on? What happened? Da, 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 yeah. da, da. It's going to be a nightmare to cover because as you, like, it's almost like the speculation is worse than just knowing. Yeah. I, think, I think your suggestion is really good about illness versus injury. And my other concern, too, is that the league has said, let's say that the league reports next week that there are 20 cases of COVID. Yeah. Well, that's all they're going to tell us. And there's a big difference between one case on each of 20 teams 
and 10 cases each yeah. on two teams. And I think that's really important because it speaks to safety. It speaks to health. And I do think that in these times, that kind of information is important for the community to know. I think that fans deserve to know. I think that media deserves to know. And so I would like to see more transparency. We, you mentioned a bunch of players yourself. Blue Jackets have had two players who've missed some days, Pierre-Luc Dubois and Ryan Murray. And even though we said, you know, if these players were ill, they wouldn't even be in the building. We've seen them on the ice. Everyone jumps to the speculation. Yeah. And, and I do think in some ways that hurts the player more. So I am with you. I'm a, I would prefer that there be more information sharing. And we'll see if the NHL and the NHLPA decides to change that a little bit. Um, because, I mean everyone's trying things new right now. Everything's new. Uh, so we'll see uh, how things shake out. Um, but the NHL recently released the exhibition games. Most of them are rivalries. Uh, Toronto versus Montreal, the Battle of Pennsylvania, the Battle of Alberta, uh, some great, great matchups. And the Blue Jackets are, of are course, going to play again the President's Trophy winner in the exhibition round, uh, who they played in the second round, the Boston Bruins. Um, even though this game doesn't count uh, do you think teams should pretend uh, that it does and does playing the Bruins who are the best team in the league right now help or hurt the Blue Jackets with one yeah, game right before the qualifying rounds yeah I think this game is going to be very important because the players we've talked to even before they started practicing have all said that we should expect sloppy hockey <laughs> yeah. so I think getting more game scenarios under your belt is huge um, I think that you do have to play this as close to game readiness as you can. I think you need that practice. I think you need those reps. And with full respect to Boston, we really don't know what any of these teams are going to look like yeah. coming back. I mean, the Blue Jackets are a completely different team yeah. um, to, the, to their benefit than they were when, when everything paused. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that it's bad that they're playing the President's Cup trophy team. Um, I think that it's good. And I think it should be a good marker um, for both sides to see. And it doesn't count. So yeah. um, I think it's going to be interesting to watch. And I think particularly for goaltending, I think it'd be really interesting to see, like, maybe they swap out goaltenders every yeah. period. Like, just to figure out what they're going to do there, that could, be, that could be fascinating. And for Toronto fans watching this Columbus-Boston uh, game, uh, Toronto has all their memories with uh, Boston can't getting past the first round. Uh, so I think it may be a mark, oh, if – if Columbus beat Boston, uh, <laughs> we may be in trouble here. Um, That's but, awesome. Yeah, but now looking at uh, statistics and analytics, uh, you've done it a lot. You've seen both the Blue Jackets in Toronto, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but does, does offense or defense win when looking at the nitty-gritty numbers? Uh, because the Toronto Maple Leafs are one of the best offensive teams in the league, and the Blue Jackets are one of the best defensive teams. Yeah, it's funny. I actually am going to say that I don't know the answer to that question, even though I think we saw a little bit of that in the Tampa series last year. Yeah. Where I think, and I, I don't know that the Blue Jackets will win this series, um, but I think that they have some advantages that Toronto doesn't, that um, some are analytics and some are not. I think that um, the special teams, the penalty kill of the Blue Jackets should be a huge asset. I think that all the adversity the Blue Jackets have gone through, even going back to last year, mental toughness, I think that's going to be a huge asset. Toronto is young, 
and Toronto, you know, does have things like where Boston seems to always get in their head. Yeah. Um, we've seen them melt down against a Zamboni driver in net <laughs> um, yeah. with, with all respect. Um, so I think that they might be a little bit less mentally ready. Um, and I think goaltending could, if, if the Blue Jackets goaltending comes back as strong as it was, Toronto isn't as strong in net. Um, and they aren't as strong defensively. Curious to watch, and I don't think we'll see this for a while, is how quickly can the Blue Jackets get back to the focus required to play the defense that they need to play. Um, if they can lock right back into that system, this is going to be a really, really good series. Because after four months break, I mean, you're not really on your A game. Um, but also with the Blue Jackets, uh, having a Jack Adams finalist at Sean Tortorella, his fifth season, uh, being nominated for the Jack Adams, which is the Coach of the Year Award, um, versus a coach who, this is his first year, he came in midseason. I know you can't see that on a numbers point of view, but how big of an advantage does that give the Blue Jackets? Yeah, it's a really good question, and, and I do want to give credit to Coach Keefe um, behind the Maple Leafs bench. I mean, the part of the benefit he has is that he is a younger coach. He's a yeah. more progressive coach. Um, and what he did, I actually did look at this um, for a different site called the Coaches site I wrote on this. When he came in, he didn't really make a ton of systematic changes, but what he did do was tell those offensively talented players that Toronto has that they could be more free. Um, Mike Babcock had them a little bit more controlled and in a very set way of playing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really smart choice for that group. So from an analytics perspective, we see Toronto's offense blossom because of the coaching choices that the new coach made for them. So that is interesting. But I think you're right. I think that what we see the impact of John Tortorella from a numbers perspective is that he put a system in place that could allow his team as constructed to succeed. And what he did also was that system was set up in a way that new players could come up from Cleveland and figure it out and execute it right away. Yeah. I think that's huge. And then I do think that that man just has the ability to motivate his team and press yeah. their buttons, particularly young players. Um, so that's maybe not an analytics piece of it, but um, that is an advantage he has for sure. And now the big question that looms over the Blue Jackets before they get to Toronto uh, is who do you think uh, the Blue Jackets will ultimately choose in goal? Oh. Not for, not just for this year, um, but, you know, coming up soon, uh, there's possibly going to be a trade. Yeah, it's it's a that's the million-dollar question. And, and it's hard for me because I respect both of those players a great yes. deal. Um, and they're obviously both very talented. Um, but, you know, it just how can you trade Elvis Merzlikens, right? Like yeah. the guy's just a personality and crazy. Um, I have said, I'm one of the few that has said, and particularly now with this change in the cap and everything, I've said that maybe they go into next year with two goaltenders yeah. and they split the season. I have no problem with that. Um, why not? They're affordable. They're good. Do it. Um, I don't know who's going to get the start right now. Corpusalo has, he's got the veteran status. He has earned the starters role for the regular season. As we know, he is playing in what is historically the starters net when they play in the, at the ice house. But um, I think it's way too early to decide. We haven't seen enough yet, but they both look really good. And when we were talking to Blue Jackets, Josh uh, Flynn, who is their assistant general manager a few weeks ago, he did say that they signed both of them. So their plan is to have them uh, this season, unless something else uh, changes, especially with the cab situation. Um, 
But finally, uh, to cap everything off, actually, I have two more. Um, <laughs> sorry. And before we go to who you think uh, may uh, make a big splash uh, in the playoffs this year, I know, like I you talked about earlier uh, with The Athletic and all your stories, who has been one of the most intriguing players uh, that you have uh, worked with before or, or been with? Um, I, you know, we just talked about this. I think Elvis Merzlikens is yeah. just a fascinating person. And it's not that other people aren't fascinating, but Elvis is someone who's willing to be very open with what he's thinking, what he's doing. So he shares quite a bit. Um, so that's a lot of fun. I also um, really enjoy covering Josh Anderson and Seth Jones because when I'm doing more systems work, they're both really interesting to talk to about what is the team doing and why. Um, and Seth in particular, if you ask a wrong question or a bad question, he lets you know, which helps someone like me because that means I missed something or I didn't understand yeah. something. And particularly the work I do, that's key. Um, so, uh, yeah, I really enjoy those guys in particular. And uh, what about Torts? Oh, Torts he is the best. He didn't come in the list? Well, he, well you, said, you said players, so I, Torts oh, is... No. you're right, you're right. Torts is a blast. Um, I actually really, really like Torts, and I really respect attention to what he's doing. He wants you to be prepared and not waste his time. Yeah. And I have a lot of respect for that, um, and I have always enjoyed my conversations with him. He has always engaged me and answered my questions thoughtfully, and I appreciate that. And now to cap everything off... Uh, if we do get to that point where the playoffs uh, commence and that uh, we do get to the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, who do you think, uh, besides the Blue Jackets, because you cover them, <laughs> so you have to say them, but uh, who, who, who else uh, do you think uh, could really make a run for it this year? Yeah, that's a good question. I have to think this through real quick. Um, I mean, Boston, obviously, that wouldn't happen if the Blue Jackets make it in because they're the same conference. Um, but who from the West... Uh, Colorado, I think, has been outstanding. Really, yeah. Outstanding this year, um, and they're solid, um, and I like how they play, and they have deep goaltending and a compelling goaltending. Let's go with Colorado from the West. Colorado from the West and the Bruins from the from East. The East, the East, if, East. If, if the Blue Jackets don't, right. don't get that far. Right. All right. So, uh, Allison, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Uh, do you have anything else to add? Uh, you can say the different podcasts and the different things you're doing as well, if you'd like. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Um, again, uh, my Twitter is usually where you can find everything I'm doing. Um, and we have the Too Many Men podcast, which is on iTunes and all the services. But you can see more about that at TooManyMenPod.com. And then at Hanik-Analytics.com, H-A-N-I-C-Analytics.com is all the information on that Hanik webinar series that Megan Chaka and I are doing. All right, Allison, uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on and uh, stay healthy and stay safe and uh, keep writing. Yeah, keep up the good work. Thanks for having me on. This was phenomenal. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that fantastic interview with the Athletics' very own Allison Lucan, who covers the analytics uh, side uh, in her articles while she is covering the Columbus Blue Jackets. Allison, Thank you so much, and I apologize for some of the audio issues uh, that you, the listener, um, may have heard. Um, there were some Wi-Fi problems, so I apologize, uh, but I hope that it was still a fantastic interview. Um, but I'm ready now to get into some NHL news. 
Um, with training camp starting, um, there's some problems uh, that are going on. And bef- I talked about it with Allison uh, during this interview. Um, but the NHL and the NHLPA's decision to rule players unfit to play has started to create some problems around the league. The Boston Bruins have nine players that are unfit to play in their training camps. That includes Tuka Rask and David Pasternak, who are some of their best players. They also have some other great players that are unfit to play as well. Uh, there's rumors that they're quarantining. Um, David Pasternak's um, agent said that he's quarantining because he was in contact with someone who have it, had it, uh, but they're negative. Um, but anytime someone is put unfit to play, everyone automatically thinks, oh, they have COVID. Well, the reason the NHL did the unfit to play is so people didn't know if they had COVID because they didn't want players to have uh, to know. They didn't. The players didn't want the media to know if they had COVID uh, because of their privacy. Um, but now every time someone says they're unfit to play, everyone automatically now thinks um, that they have COVID and they don't think that they're injured. Um, Corey Crawford, who is the starting goaltender for the Chicago Blackhawks is unfit to play. I mean, the media just wants to know, do they have COVID? Will they not come back? Are they injured? Will they be able to play? Are they they quarantining or are they isolating? Um, Will they be able to come back? We just don't know because of this broad thing. And we think everyone has COVID if they're unfit to play. Now, the NHL uh, today, when I'm recording this episode, they released the numbers of the positive players. Um, after the first five days of training camp, they said that out of the over 800 players that they've tested, two players have tested positive during training camps. So only two players tested positive, but multiple, 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 multiple players are unfit to play. That just shows you that even though there's nine Boston Bruins players, that are unfit to play, it's possible none of them are even have coronavirus. Uh, so that's where I think it's getting tricky because we think they have COVID-19, but they actually don't um, because, again, only two players have tested positive, which, by the way, is outstanding. Uh, we were worried about can the, the NHL make it to the training camps uh, without, I mean, without having a big outbreak. Now, can they make it? to the hub cities um, without having a big COVID-19 outbreak. And so far, let's knock on wood, so far, there's only two positive cases, which means that the league is on their way uh, to Toronto and Edmonton, um, hopefully on July 26th. Now, um, other things in training camp that are going on is Johnny Gaudreau of the Calgary Flames. Uh, He was put in... The Black Aces group uh, during practice. Um, so everyone was trying to figure out why is Johnny Gaudreau with the extras and why is he not practicing with the regular team. Um, people thought maybe um, he was he wasn't conditioning right or he was uh, fooling off during uh, the pause and he wasn't fit. Um, the Calgary Flames general manager and coach said that's not true. Uh, he's doing a great job. They said he's never looked better. 
um, and that's just the way the groups were. But there's nothing wrong uh, with their relations there. Um, he's now been uh, with the regular players now. They moved him back, uh, so all is well there. Um, training camps are going pretty well. I think that some questions are starting to be answered uh, regarding uh, what is going on. And after this podcast is released, I mean, today on Monday, it's been officially a week. Um, and so I think that this is a great step and I just can't wait. Next podcast episode, um, will be the day that exhibition games start. Um, so they're already going to be in the hub cities then. Uh, and I can't wait to hopefully announce that they have all made it safely. Um, just one thing to note, Rogers plays, uh, where the Edmonton Oilers play and where the Hub City in Edmonton is going to be hosted. They did have a big storm. It was flooded. You'll, you can see the videos online. I, it was flooding uh, one of the lobbies there. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers and their entertainment uh, company said there's no problem. Everything will come back. Uh, and it's not near the ice at all, so everything's okay. The NHL also released photos of them starting to NHL fi, if you want to say, uh, the arenas, make them neutral. Uh, so you're not going to see any of the Edmonton Oiler colors. You're not going to see any of the blue and white from the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's going to be all NHL uh, because it's going to be neutral. And I think uh, we will see the NHL logo in center ice. And because the NHL wants to make it a neutral site. It's not going to be the Toronto Maple Leafs Arena. It's going to be a hub city arena. It's not going to be the Edmonton Arena. It's going to be a hub city arena. Maybe they'll even put the Western Conference logo in the West and the Eastern Conference logo in the East. Uh, I think that would be interesting as well and could be cool. Maybe they'll put that on the ice somewhere else. Um, But we don't know how everything's going to look yet. Um, the photos that the NHL did release uh, recently shows that they're just putting on the ice now. So hopefully we'll get some more photos soon because um, in the next week, the ice is going to have to go. Everything's going to have to get ready um, because the NHL teams are coming. Um, now, uh, the NHL, uh, like I was talking about with Allison Lucan, they did release their schedule uh, for the exhibition games. And wow. These games are really exciting, even though they don't mean anything in the schedule. Um, Lots and lots of rivalries here, um, which I think is extremely exciting. Uh, So, I mean, you have the Battle of Pennsylvania. You have the Battle of Alberta. You have the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs, those are, all those games are on July 28th, and on July 29th, you have one, two, three, four, five, six games that day, uh, you have the Battle of Florida, Avalanche Wild, Hurricanes Capitals, you remember that series last year when the Capitals lost, uh, you have the Blues and the Blackhawks, the Battle of New York, the Islanders and the Rangers, the Canucks and Jets, and then the next day, like I was talking about with Allison Lucan, uh, you have the Blue Jackets and the Bruins who played last year uh, in the division finals. Uh, you have the Golden Knights and the Coyotes, the Battle of the Desert, 
you have the Predators and the Stars. I mean, those are great exhibition games. Kudos to the NHL uh, for making those um, because the NHL wants, and the players, they want the most game-like real games possible um, because um, they have one game and boom, they're in the playoffs. Uh, so they want to make that game as real as possible and get that rivalry uh, to pump some of the energy. But of course, you don't want any players getting injured in that game. Um, something else to talk about is the NHL awards. Um, the NHL has been uh, releasing the finalists this week of the NHL awards and in the conference finals, uh, between the conference finals and the Stanley Cup finals or some sometime in that area, uh, there will be um, the NHL awards. Uh, we don't know what that format will look like, um, but that's when the winners will be released. But now I'm going to be talking about the NHL awards. Uh, for the Ted Lindsay Award, the most outstanding player, as voted by their fellow players from the NHLPA, we have Leon Drysaddle of the Edmonton Oilers, Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche, and Artemi Panarin of the New York Rangers. I think that these are really great players, uh, really deserving. Leon Drysaddle, uh, I mean, has just been a beast this year with Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, always great. Uh, Artemi Panarin with the New York Rangers now, also having a fantastic season. All really, really worthy uh, players. Uh, I mean, I think I would choose Leon Dreisaitl in this position, um, but they're all deserving of the award, no matter who wins. Um, the Calder Memorial Trophy is goes to the Rookie of the Year. Uh, Kill McCarr of the Colorado Avalanche, Quinn Hughes of the um, Vancouver Canucks and Dominique Kubelik of the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, again, all three worthy people. Uh, I think, honestly, it goes between Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes, two defensemen. I I, I don't want to make this call uh, because I, I, I think that it's a really tough choice. Uh, they're both fantastic choices. Maybe it goes to Kale McCarr a little more than Quinn Hughes. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's a coin toss at this point. Uh, but now to the Jack Adams. I was talking about it last week. It was rumored Allison Lucan uh, actually uh, released last week uh, when I was talking to Jess Boboda um, that John Tortorella is a finalist uh, for the Jack Adams. Well, now it is official. John Tortorella is a finalist uh, for the Jack Adams, which is the coach of the year. Tortorella is from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Another worthy uh, finalist is Bruce Cassidy of the Boston Bruins. And finally, the third finalist is from the Philadelphia Flyers, Coach Elaine, Elaine Vigneault. So Elaine Vigneault, uh, I mean, he has made the Philadelphia Flyers a uh, team who we didn't think about a few years ago. Uh, they made some trades now. They made some trades last year um, with Wayne Simmons. We weren't so sure about them, but now they are a powerhouse team. Uh, they made it to the round robin. Uh, they've already made it to the playoffs, so they are a strong team. Elaine uh, Vigneault, he is really deserving uh, of this award as well. I think that it's between Tortorella and uh, Vigneault. I, I think that's just because, I mean, Bruce Cassidy, he's a great coach, and with all due respect to him, I think the Boston Bruins are a great team, but 
I don't know if his coaching is that factor, at least this year. Um, yes, he brought them to a different level, um, but I think John Tortorella, who has brought the Columbus Blue Jackets, who were injured, uh, second most man's game loss, uh, also with their free agency loss, uh, to bring them to this opportunity. And I, I think he's really deserving of it, and so is uh, Elaine uh, because of what he did with the Philadelphia Flyers. I think it's probably going to go to towards, uh, but I think it's neck and neck uh, with Vigneault and Tortorella. Now the Bill Masterin Trophy, um, every team uh, had a nominee, but it went down to now finalists. Uh, it goes to the per- player with the most perseverance uh, in the game this year. Bobby Ryan of the Ottawa Senators, uh, Oscar Limbaum of the Philadelphia Flyers, and Stephen Johns of the Dallas Stars are three really deserving finalists. Uh, Bobby Ryan, who went through um, depression and different addictions and things like that, I think that um, he took time off from the league, and I, I think that the perseverance he had was amazing really emotional game when he came back um he scored a hat trick i i think that's a great story and the other one is oscar limbaum who was diagnosed with cancer i talked about it with allison lucan um and to now right before the playoffs i don't know if he'll be playing in the playoffs but the fact that he rang that final bell and he's done with cancer treatment uh, just in this year i mean that is amazing and he he persevered he got through it he beat cancer and now he's going to come back to hockey whether it's this year or next year and I think that's just a fantastic story as well and Stephen Johns uh, who dealt with concussions a big concussion and post-concussion syndrome which also had to do uh, he had depression and all these different suicidal thoughts and things like that and he was able to persevere get through that um, overcome it, and now be able to play hockey again. Uh, I think all three of these stories are so emotional, so deserving, and I really think any one of them deserves it, and I'm just interested in who gets it and what their speech is going to be. Now, the Lady Bing Award is for sportsmanship in the most gentlemanly-like uh, actions um, the nominees are Austin Matthews of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Ryan O'Reilly of the St. Louis Blues, and Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche, his second award uh, that he is being nominated for. Um, I think they're all great options. I mean, the Lady Bing is always a confusing award because uh, how do you judge it exactly with the PWHA and the people that are voting on it? We'll get to the side who wins. Now, the Vesna Trophy to the best goaltender, Andre Vasilevsky of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Connor Hellebuck of the Winnipeg Jets, Tuka Rask of the Boston Bruins. All three of them had great, great seasons. Um, Hellebuck had a hell of a season, if you like that corny joke. Uh, Tuka Rask uh, had another phenomenal season leading the Boston Bruins to where they are and Andre Vasilevsky again uh making the Tampa Bay Lightning the Tampa Bay Lightning all three deserving um I'm not sure who this one will go to I part of me says Hellebuck because he really had a 
great season. Um, but I mean, I think it's a three-way coin toss there as well. Um, now one of the best awards, uh, for me after doing push for sled hockey and all of that is the Willie O'Ree Community Hero Award. This is the only award not going to an NHL player. Um, it is to the person who is best, uh, in the hockey community who's being a hero this year. Um, Dampy Barr, uh, who is from Calgary, um, he helps, uh, connect South Asian hockey players uh, to the sport and to their community. Uh, he did a great job there. Alexandria Briggs-Blake uh, from Oxen Hill, uh, Maryland, um, also doing a great job to rebuild the rinks there and really get that community um, to where it is today uh, with hockey and grow the sport there. You always want to see um, either the diversity go around the game. You want to see hockey grow. So I think that is fantastic as well. And John Hafferman, of, uh, who is from Columbus, he ran the Columbus Ice Hockey Club, uh, which grows hockey uh, to many, many players in Columbus, um, whether that's sled hockey, special hockey, uh, regular hockey, um, for players that are less fortunate uh, to be able to play the sport and not just for players that are less fortunate that can't afford the gear, uh, but to just grow the sport all across and create some great uh, hockey ga- teams and games. Uh, I've got to know him personally, um, and I've got to meet him if, multiple times uh, with the sled hockey, uh, so I'm really excited for him as well. And I know uh, that this new segment's getting really long, uh, so I'm going to start wrapping it up here, but there are a lot of awards uh, to talk about. Um, but the Selkie Trophy, the best defensive forward, uh, goes. Um, the finalists are Patrice Bergeron of the Boston Bruins, Sean Couturier of the Philadelphia Flyers, and Ryan O'Reilly uh, of the St. Louis Blues. Uh, all great. Um, I think they're. I mean, I Patrice Bergeron has been a finalist for this award so many times now. Um, I think they're all really great. Uh, Couturier's is really good this year. Ryan O'Reilly's a solid guy as well. Um, so I'm excited to see who wins that award. And now the Norris Trophy. The finalists for those are John Carlson, Washington, Victor Hedman, Tampa Bay Lightning, and Roman Yossi, Nashville. I think it's between Carlson and Yossi this year. I think Carlson gets it uh, because he has had a heck of a season. Um, But, you know, and tomorrow they're going to, when the episode gets released, uh, they will tell us who the Hart Memorial Trophy goes to. Um, but that is all the things we have for the NHL awards and NHL news. Now I'm going to be talking a little bit about, uh, what you're going to see in the quarantine hockey's bonus series, Q double HQ quarantine hockey HQ. Uh, it's Q double HQ score recap. Uh, and basically in 30 minutes or less, uh, I'm going to preview the games that happen. I'm going to recap the games that happened yesterday. Uh, and the preview the games that are going to be happening the day the podcast is released. Uh, because I know that when the qualifying rounds start and there's six games a day, I know no one can watch six games uh, with everything that's going on uh, in their lives. And so this is going to recap it in a timely manner, whether you're going to work or you're just sitting around. 30 minutes is not like that long. It's a TV show. Uh, time so 30 minutes compared to watching six hockey games i think that's a lot better option um but i mean of course watch some hockey games uh 
who doesn't want to watch hockey. Um, but this is a great way uh, for you to hear what happens in every series, uh, recap all of that. Um, so I'm really excited for that. Um, I know personally, um, this is something I'm really excited to do. Um, I'm really excited to have daily episodes and they're going to be released right here as well on this podcast uh, channel. It's still going to be under Quarantine Hockey HQ. Um, so I'm really excited to tell you about that. On July 28th, uh, that is a regular Tuesday episode, Quarantine Hockey HQ episode 14. Now, since we're recapping the games the day, uh, the day before, um, we're going to be covering yesterday's games. Uh, we're going to start 2HHQ score recap, uh, covering the exhibition games going from July 29th to July 31st. And then August 2nd, we're going to start QWHU score recap for the qualifying round, August 2nd and 3rd. August 4th will be Quarantine Hockey HQ episode 15. Uh, we'll talk about, we'll recap things as well, um, but that's all going to be bunched in there with that episode. And then August 5th uh, through August 10th, we'll have more QWHQ score recap episodes with the qualifying round. And then August 11th, Quarantine Hockey HQ episode 16, uh, which we'll be recapping every series. And then, boom, that same day, round one starts. Uh, so there is a lot to talk about. There's a lot of hockey. There's going to be a lot of Quarantine Hockey HQ episodes. And I can't wait uh, to share it all with you. And we'll be talking about it more next week, uh, which will be coming out the day that exhibition games start. Uh, so I cannot wait uh, to be ha doing all of that uh, with you guys. Um, but, I mean, I know this segment has been very long. Um, so without further ado, uh, that's all we have here. And uh, let's get you right into that outro. Thank you so much uh, for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed that fantastic interview with Allison Lucan and loved hearing about the NHL awards and the different NHL news. And I hope you are as excited as I am for QHQ score recap, uh, which is beginning July 29th, uh, where we will be covering the games that happen the day before and previewing the ones that day in under 30 in 30 minutes or less. Uh, it's going to be on the Q Quarantine Hockey HQ page. It's going to be QHHU score recap, Quarantine Hockey HQ. Uh, it's going to be me uh, previewing and recapping all the games. And I'm so excited uh, for for you guys uh, to be able to hear that. And I know I'm excited to have daily episodes. Um, but make sure uh, to listen to our other episodes in the past. If you're just joining the Quarantine Hockey HQ family now, welcome please listen to other interviews and make sure you subscribe uh you can listen to any episode at on any platform linktr.ee slash quarantine hockey hq and make sure you follow us on social media twitter at hockey hq podcast instagram and facebook at quarantine hockey hq uh, so, I mean, lots to be excited for. Hockey is back, and I could not be more excited. My name is Zachary Rodier, and I cannot wait for hockey to be back. And 
uh, for everything to be back uh, with our episode next week, uh, starting off uh, what is going to be daily Quarantine Hockey HQ episodes. Um, So thank you, everyone. That is all we have for you uh, today, and I'll catch you on the next one. Thanks.